So anyway, Artaxerxes, he sent Ezra as a scribe to go and establish Jewish law there. And that is what um, Artaxerxes was doing. He was helping out, getting things going. And, and uh, of course, his idea was there were a lot of revolts happening out there and all about uh, the empire. And what his idea was is whenever there were exiles, he would like to return them back to allow them to establish at least to a degree maybe some kind of autonomy of their own freedom. They're still underneath the umbrella of the Persian rule. So, we see the Lord of Heaven, though, breaking in. Who's controlling all this? Even though this man is saying, okay, hey, listen, get on out there. You, you can have your own freedom and have your land there to a point. God has a purpose. He knows exactly how to do it. Ezra led his group back to Jerusalem, and that was in 458 B.C. And he's going to bring about a spiritual reformation. Ezra's going to set it up. Nehemiah then is going to uh, follow suit and get those walls going. Uh, a little bit more about the background. His idea was to restore the temple. Uh, restore, of course, the walls and such. Uh, a restoration of the law. A uh, restoration of uh, living the covenant. Of people having knowing what the covenant is and living by it. That's uh, and Ezra and Nehemiah. That was their part. And Ezra wanted to get that temple uh, going, and Nehemiah. And that was their work. Uh, the summary of uh, the very purpose of what Nehemiah had: rebuild the wall, reestablish the covenant. That how God identified with the people. And they, they would be taught of that, which we see that they are by expository preaching in Nehemiah eight, <laughs> and then to reorder the worship to get worship back to the people. Outline of Nehemiah, a journey to Jerusalem, rebuild the wall. Repopulation of Jerusalem, having the people move in there. They had lived on the outskirts of the many that had been there. He wants to move them in, repopulate Jerusalem. Uh, he has reforms to transform worship. He uh, dedicates the wall, dedicates the people, uh, a national repentance, and then he leaves, comes back a second time, and there's a lot more reforms that have to be done during his second administration. There were some things where they were falling back on, one of them being the Sabbath. And he's got to come in there and get that going again. My! Did he have his hands full by the power of God. So, as we started in verse 1, it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. So some of the people that were back there, and they, they went out there to scout it quite some time. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Well, this is a message of bad news. We're in part five already. The people who left almost 90 years earlier now, remember it was in the 500s that they were gone, now we're in the mid-450s B.C., uh, there were two waves of people that had gone out there. 
back back uh, homeland. And you would have thought that surely there would be a, some kind of a restored order, something going on. And so we have uh, his friends, and uh, we have, uh, I think, uh, uh, brothers that went, went there for some time. They come back and say, "We don't have any good. We don't have any gospel. We have no good news." <laughs> This is, this is bad. They had lost the will to keep pressing forward. They had started doing some building and they just dropped it. There were pagan neighbors there and pagan neighbors didn't want them to get anything started and they gave them hassles and casted insults constantly. They didn't want the Jews to make any progress um, and they thought it was impossible. And to them, it was impossible. With men... Things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. Anyway, they're weak. They're abandoned. They're defeated. They have no reason to do anything there. They lost a vision. They lost their knowledge of the power that God has and the grace that He is and God is sovereign. So the wall is broken down and its gates burned with fire. Well, we know that happened. And maybe that's what it's referring to in, uh, with Babylon. I think that for the most part. But maybe Nehemiah is referring here to what he expected after 90 years of people going back there. Well, 90 years, you ought to get something kind of structured. Boy, in our country, 90 years from the time uh, that the, the pilgrims set foot here, that was early 1600s, 16-teens, right? And by 1700s, we uh, in a hundred years, a lot of things had happened. Of course, another uh, what few decades, and then you have the Revolutionary War and fighting for independence. Um, failed attempts to rebuild. You look in Ezra, uh, Ezra, I mean Ezra, <laughs> Nehemiah, <laughs> Nehemiah, and Ezra. <laughs> Whatever work they had done, whatever it was years earlier on that wall, that first wave, maybe not only was it stopped, but maybe some of that was ruined. Maybe they had started some building there, or which they had, but maybe that was possibly ruined too. Anyway, not a good scene back there, is it? Nehemiah has a response. It's verse 4. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is broken. He gets the news in mid-November, somewhere around there. It's going to be three months before he gets uh, an answer from his, in his prayer there. Three to five months stretch maybe. What did he do during that time? Well, he waited on God. He kept doing what he is to do what God had called him to do. God was training as he was being um, a cupbearer for the king himself. He, I'm sure, got to set in on some things or was able to understand some things. Matter of fact, I imagine he got to walk into the chamber sometimes <laughs> like Carmela did. Was that today or the other day? <laughs> she said, I can't go in there. The man said, yeah, come on in. And there they are having their... Making laws, you know, <laughs> talking about. It. 
We could go home and come back. <laughs> you meant the gas chamber. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought that was rather good. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> so anyway, he prayed. He meditated on the Scriptures. He fasted. He sought God's face. He really took it seriously. He had really wanted to hear better news. Did did he know that he was going to be the man at that time? You know what I mean by the man. That's who God is going to use also to help us out on Ezra. And he hadn't probably really even thought about that. But he, he prayed. I think he prayed very hard. Probably had already been a hard praying man. For three to five months, he sought God's will. Uh, he didn't presume upon God. And uh, he's a trustworthy servant to what would be a pagan king. And he's serving the greater purpose of God's kingdom, though, isn't he? Even though he's serving this, this king and this kingdom, there's a much better purpose that's... Uh, Ahead, and I think those years that he—I think there's a big lesson in this. No matter where we're at in life, and whether we're working or wherever we've been put at, it's not wasted. God can use that; He will use it. Now, sometimes we can say it's the strangest position to be at, but yet that's not by accident. And so Nehemiah got where he was at, not by accident. He didn't waste uh, his his efforts because God was setting him up. What did he do with Moses? Remember what he did with Moses? He got trained up in a palace and then wound up being a shepherd. <laughs> Two extreme opposites. Forty years. Forty years. To most people, that's most of a life. <laughs> Many people. Half of a life. Well, back then it was probably... Many didn't reach that age. The Sovereign Lord is shaping Nehemiah all that time. Imagine the administrative abilities he was picking up all the time not knowing what it was going to be used for. He was just learning what what a king did. The king of the world. (laughs) The, The number one nation in the world. And there he is. Knowing what the king's thoughts are on things. He has to. You know, how can he keep from it? So don't ever despair wherever position that you're at at the time because God will use it. And uh, I think it's God uses everything for preparation. He's, it's all just training us. We're all in training. All in training. No matter what age, no matter how long we've been Christian, He's still training us, isn't He? Um, I think Nehemiah was understanding God's will and now His time had come. Time had come for action. So it says, verse 5, I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven. That's interesting there. Well, you say God of heaven. Of course, God of heaven. That sounds okay, but you just didn't put that out just to be throwing it out, right? We have local deities, you know, pagan gods and such, localized deities. I'm praying to the God of heaven, not the gods 
that rule the earth. <laughs> so he confesses God's majesty as creator right here. He just uses that phrase. He does. Exactly. You got it. So whenever we see things like that, pay attention to them because there's something more there than meets the eye. There always is. The depth of God's Word. So, the great and awesome God. Not only the Creator of the heavens, He's great, He's awesome. He preserves the covenant. Ah, gets right to it. And loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night. You see how earnest this is? And I'm going, Lord, you're speaking here to us because we've been in James for weeks now on prayer. I never designed to have that many weeks to do on that. Evidently, we needed to and still need to learn better what prayer is. And then you go on to Nehemiah and we see the same thing again. I'm going, okay, I get it, Lord. We want to stress this. What's that? That's our lifeblood. That's our breath. This is, this is how we live, isn't it? So he says, you, listen, you hear my prayer, Lord, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins. Well, that sounds like our James passage again, doesn't it? Confess your sins one to another. Of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell." They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. That's quite a prayer. That's a prayer. And it is. It is a perfect prayer. Interceding for the people. Yeah. 
he didn't think himself better than anybody else. God's God's people recognize that, and and I we really close it down. I, it's probably a good place to stop because I don't want to rush through this prayer, this perfect prayer. Of course, it's because. God is putting this prayer to him to do but boy it's a great model for us and yeah you've got prayer praise uh, worship adoration you have confession there you have um, asking uh, there uh, on behalf mediation and then it's for and, and it's God's will everything he's praying here is God's will you want to know why because if you read Deuteronomy 30 if you get a chance, you want to read the Bible tonight when you go home, turn to Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 10, and see if he knew what he was praying. I'll leave it hanging on that. And we'll, we'll pick this up. I, my answer. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming out tonight. And uh, Barb, thanks for the suggestion of Nehemiah. I think it's an exciting book, and uh, I think we get to see a godly man here who makes an impact on a society that had really been boiled. <laughs> I, uh, I just happened to notice in, in the notes that are not part of the Bible, but in <laughs> my, um, that Artaxerxes was uh, Esther's Esther stepson. Yeah. So that's. And Susa, Real was she at Susa? Esther? Yeah. Susa is in, uh, yeah, in the book of Esther there. I thought that was yeah. interesting. There's Esther, we know the story of Esther, and then it leads to Nehemiah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that, because I was thinking that's a whole point of view in my head. That's an interesting insight. Yeah. Because Esther replaced Vashti? Yeah. Vashti replaced Eldon, would you mind closing us in prayer?
Lord, we thank you for your mercy toward us. Even though we are so flippant and so uh, unresponsive to your word much of the time, you still love us and care for us. Hear our prayers. We beyond my understanding to know why you would even listen as we come to you in Christ. Amen. Thank you guys. Very good. Why would he ever even want to listen to our prayers?